I'm Rob Bro. He's Money Mainville. Kyle is away at a symposium preparing to address the United Nations in his capacity for the Fort Worth. Uh, well, well, you know what? I don't know his job anymore. He's in Fort Worth, Chamber of Commerce or something. Uh, I think he's speaking directly to the president tomorrow and his cabinet. So big deal for, uh, for Kyle. He's not here. Uh, but Money is, and we got a lot of basketball to talk about. I don't know why I said that like uh, New Jerseyite. Uh, or a Midwesterner. Maybe it's because uh, Texas Tech lost to Iowa State uh, in poor fashion. But that does not erase money, and neither do injuries erase a top six beatdown of the Kansas Jayhawks, the first ever ejection of Bill Self, and utter domination, let's say, of the Kansas Jayhawks. Kyle and I talked about it a little bit last Tuesday, but I wanted your thoughts as well on that game because uh it was huge and we all know about uh williams but there was a lot to go around in that game for it to be a 30 point victory yeah definitely well from the opening tip you could just kind of tell like in some basketball games you can just tell by the first couple of minutes like what what kind of energy a team has you know what the what the game plan is right out of the gates and that that just felt like a completely different Texas Tech team that walked out of the tunnel to to face Kansas. And I mean, obviously, you've got to start with, with Darion Williams literally having one of the best games in the modern era of college basketball. 30 points, did not miss a shot, had 11 boards, three assists, played really good defense as well. Um, but overall, you executed to a T offensively mainly running it through Darion Williams. And then your defense just looked the best it probably has this season. With Kansas, if you can kind of eliminate their top four, you're in a good spot to win. Um, and especially with McCuller sidelined, you know, main main point of emphasis was probably around Dickinson and then Harris um, and then KJ Adams. You, you completely just blanked them in that game. Um, and so overall, just probably the most impressive game I've seen this team play the entire season. I don't care who was out, how short their bench is for you to play the way you did against a top 10 team. It it was really, really impressive. And we can discuss uh, if we think Kansas is deserving of a top 10 ranking uh, as much as we want, but the fact is they were ranked. Um, But of the two teams you played this week, and I know in the big 12 home road splits are what they are. Uh, especially with Kansas. Kansas has insane home road splits, especially three-point defense. Um, It's incredible to dig into those. I'm not a number guy. You are. Uh, But it is incredible to see those numbers uh, for Kansas. But Iowa State as well, um, it's just a different beast to play on the road. Uh, The first question here from uh, Mr. Sampson, did the bridge intimidate the team, you think? We had a uh, parlay picador a listener of the gambling gauchos say the bridge was underwhelming in person. So I don't think the bridge intimidated the team, uh, but, but maybe the the team did (laughs) the team intimidated the team because you looked a little uh, lackluster in the first half. I I mean, just zero spark. Um, And let me ask you this money. I have a question for you. 
coming off, as you said, one of the greatest modern college basketball games of all time, did you not try to run some offense through uh, Darren Williams in the first half? Yeah, I think the thing that makes Iowa State a little bit trickier defensively, obviously tremendous defense, one of the best in the country. They're the yeah. best at turning you over. Um, I mean, really, if Houston was not a, a generational defense this year, Iowa State would have a very, very good argument for being the best defense in the country. Um, and so I think part of it is the way they switch. They always bring a double to the ball whenever it's inside the three-point line, which gives every team a headache. Um, but I also just don't think the team itself did itself any favors. Um, just a lot of reckless turnovers. I mean, this is a team that, you know, has protected the ball well during Big 12 play. I think they're still second in turnover rate, so they don't give it up a lot. But just uncharacteristic mistakes, throwing it directly into guys' hands, could not even like get the ball into the half court without throwing it out of bounds balls bouncing off a guy's hands. Obviously that team has a lot of length and a lot of athleticism, which is going to make your life harder. But I really do think it's, it's a switching that kind of prevented them from getting into a lot of the half court sets that they want to run. I mean, I've been a big fan of kind of the baseline out of bounds, the offensive set plays. I think obviously you lose some of those with Warren Washington out. Cause you do run a lot through him at the top of the key. But I mean, that was probably the game where I noticed the fewest set plays and like where tech really found itself in a rhythm in the half court. And then in transition, you just couldn't do anything either because they're more athletic and longer than you are. And so I think it, it's a tough, tough matchup for this specific tech team just because of how kind of guard centric they are, especially without Warren Washington, um, but definitely got you out of rhythm early and that that put you in a deficit that you could not crawl out of, even with probably the strongest last 10 minutes of a game I've seen from this team. Yeah, and, you know, Taman Lipsy is a great scorer, great guard. He's a sophomore. Uh, killed you last year, I believe. It was Taman Lipsy who couldn't miss. Uh, he's 6-1. But when when they're throwing out the rest of the, the four with 6-7, 6-8, uh, six eight six ten. It is kind of reminiscent of that Sweet Sixteen team from Texas Tech a couple of seasons ago, where you have kind of a, a point guard that's or a guard that's not quite as tall as everybody else, and then it's just six seven down the down the floor. Really tough, tenacious defense. Um, and when you're missing outside shots and you don't have your starting center. Uh, we've talked about matchups on this show quite a bit. Houston TCU, bad matchups for Texas Tech. Uh, that might have been the worst matchup. What Warren Washington in there? Maybe. Maybe maybe it feels a little better. Um, now, you covered nearly. Uh, there was a live line of 12 near uh, late in the second half you covered. Uh, there was a line early... Saturday morning that was minus nine that you covered. I think it closed at seven and a half or six. You did not cover that. If you don't foul in the final possession, they dribble it out and you cover. But uh, is the biggest stat of the game points off turnovers, 28 to zero? I mean, is that just – can you boil it down to that? You didn't score off their turnovers. They only had seven, but uh, seven? Was it something like that? Six, yeah. yeah. Six, yeah, even worse. Um, and then they just seemingly scored on every turnover you had. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's a defense that 
wants to get the ball from you. Um, and I think you're going to give them plenty on, on your own. Even if you're playing really good basketball on the offensive end, you're going to end up giving them, you know, six or seven at least a game. But when you're directly throwing it to the other team, that that's just it's it's a killer. It really does put you in a bind and in a deficit that you can't overcome. And so to be outmatched that badly, like the points in the paint were not great. I think they were plus 22 and points in the paint. They scored 44, which is pretty dominant. They got to the rim pretty easily. But to kind of play into the way that they want you to play almost and just turning the ball over more than you typically do, that that just killed you, I think. Um. I also want to go back to uh, the box score here just a little bit, just a little box score reading. Uh, And if you just look at the box score, Darian Williams, great game, 12 points, 11 rebounds, Uh, probably your best player again, hasn't missed a free throw in two or three games, was three for five from the floor, and I think he made his first three. Uh, If not, he made at least his first two because I was uh, scoreboard watching there. If you just look at the box score, Joe Toussaint, another good game in a row. He stacked two, I think. I think he scored 18 against Kansas. Uh, Maybe he scored 18. He scored 18 recently. He scored 16 in this game. Um, But for a large stretch of this game, and I watched on my phone uh, between some wrestling matches this weekend in Houston, so I – Correct me if I'm wrong, but aside from maybe the last four minutes when you really made a run, Joe Toussaint still just looks, what's the word, timid on the offensive end. Uh, He's good, and he's great when he just puts his head down and drives, but then there's just some indescribable possessions where he puts his head down, gets to the free throw line, and they're seemingly an open lane, and he just turns around and either backs back out or passes a, a difficult pass. Yeah, I think he he really made a living in that second half, scored, I think, almost all of his points in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, he scored two in the first half, 14 in the second half. So the second half was definitely where he, he made you know, a really, really good impact. And I think he was a big part of kind of chipping into that lead late. Um, And that's, I mean, if you go back and watch the film, that's when he was aggressive. That's when he was getting to the rack. That's when he was chirping at the student section down, you know, 15. And I think that kind of energy, that kind of veteran presence of, hey, I've been here. I've done this. I know what it takes to win a game. Like, how can you get that consistently for 30 minutes a game? And I, I like I'm not trying to say it's an effort thing, not trying to say it's a mental thing. I just think like he, he's got to realize he's a good basketball player. Like he he really is. I really do think that about him. And that showed when he was arguably, you know, Tech's at least third, second best player through non-conference. I mean, he was he was a stud early on in the season. And so I think obviously, like I've mentioned this before. The length and athleticism of Big 12 defenses is a learning curve, even for a guy who's been here before. But I think he can play at this level. Like, that is so clear. Whenever he puts his head down, he's aggressive. He gets to the bucket. Like, he can do this. I just think it's about, hey, how do we get this from you for all the minutes that you're on the court? Like, 
get him some sets, give him in some space. And I think we're, we're kind of trending in that direction because I think that's what happened in those last 10 minutes of the game. And I think that was, you know, I'm not a big moral victory guy. Um, so even like you, you were down 21 at one point in this game, it was ugly for most of it. But at the 30 minute mark of the game, so you'd played 30 minutes, the score was 40 to 60. And Tech went on to outscore Iowa State in the last 10 minutes of the game, 34 to 22. Like, and that lineup that they had out there was Toussaint, Kerwin Walton, Chance McMillan, Robert Jennings, and Darion Williams. Pop Isaacs did not play until the game got within one minute, and Grant McCaslin was kind of doing an offense for defense with him and Darion Williams. And I, I think, you know, with Pop being 9 of 45, from the field over his last four games. He's four of 25 from deep. I think it, it's kind of time to get some of these sets drawn up for Joe Toussaint, let him go to work in space and kind of alleviate some of the pressure that I think Pop Isaacs is facing when he has the ball on his hands right now. Yeah. And on court pressure is one thing, but you just think about what Pop Isaacs has been through. And not, not to delve into his personal life too much. We've done it a lot on the show, but um, it's not just student sections yelling at him that this kid is going through. Uh, there's a civil lawsuit out there. There's Title IX uh, stuff still going on. Uh, his dad is ill. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff going on in his life. Uh, and then you get yelled at by every student section you go across from. So... It can't be easy to be Pop Isaacs, and I, I still believe strongly in Pop Isaacs, um, but I can confidently say, Ryan, you will not win a Big 12 game where Pop Isaacs and Chance McMillan go 0 for 13 from 3. Uh, you might cover some games. You might beat West Virginia in Lubbock if you go 0 for 13 with two of your best three-point shooters. Um but you're not going to win on the road. You're not going to win a Big 12 game on the road. Uh, I look at the Big 12 as pass-fail. You win or you lose. Uh, so you can't get too high after beating Kansas by 29, and you can't get too low after you only lost by, what, eight or nine, but you can't get too low in a game you really got blown out by Iowa State in. So pass-fail, moving forward, uh, we don't have a mailbag tonight, but I do want to read the rest of the schedule here because um, I know there's a, a mailbag question on how you think the, game, the games will finish up in conference. Uh, let's just go the rest of February here. There's three games. TCU at home on Tuesday. UCF in Orlando on Saturday. And then another Tuesday game back at home against the University of Texas. Uh, Three-game outlook. You're seven and five. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Be firmly in the tournament by the end of February. Yeah, and I th I think they're pretty safe as it stands right now. Um, this is the toughest basketball conference in the league. I think that obviously generates a lot of attention. I think you're at you know, four and six in quad one games right now. It's not terrible. You'd obviously like to have a couple of more wins there, but two of those came um, early in your season. Um, 
And so I think these next couple of games are, are probably the toughest. You've got West Virginia in, in Morgantown, which is never an easy place to play. I think they beat Kansas in Morgantown, for goodness sakes. Um, I, I think they're bad. Like, honestly, I think they're bad. And I, I think even Oklahoma State, you get them in Stillwater. I think they're bad. But then they go and beat BYU this weekend. And it's like, all right, no, nothing on this schedule is a gimme at this point. Um, but I really do think you want to get, you know, these next three against top, mainly top 50 Kempom teams. I think UCF is in the, the mid to low 60s. But if you can take care of business on your home court, as you've typically done, and beat those two good teams in TCU and Texas, at least from a resume standpoint, I, I think you're feeling really, really good about, you know, six seed, maybe even five seed. Um, I, I think those TCU and Texas games will will be absolutely critical. And if you ask me, you know, over the next six games of the season, um, the regular season at least, I, I would take the over at three and a half wins, maybe even four and a half. Um, it feels a little risky, but I think if, if you can win four out of six, you know, maybe you lose the Baylor game, uh, maybe UCF stinks you um, when you have to go play them on the road. But if, if you can win four out of six, these next, you know, remaining games, you're, you're feeling really, really comfortable about landing on that, that five or six seed compared to a seven or an eight. I would be incredibly happy with two home wins out of three, uh, TCU, Texas, and Baylor. And this is going to sound crazy, but one road win out of UCF, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State. If you can get three wins out of six and be 10 and eight in Big 12 play, um, that is at least two full games above what I thought this team would do especially like after Villanova, after um, – who did you play on the road? Butler? Butler, yeah. After that Butler overtime loss, it's like, all right, this team is close. This team is pretty good. But the Big 12 is the Big 12. Uh, if you can go 10-8 and eight and finish, you know, 500 in your last six, uh, that'd be 500 in your last eight after winning and losing this week. Uh, pretty strong. And that's not as strong as you started. You were a little above 500 to start, five and three. But I mean, that is a really strong record at seven and five, in my opinion. Uh, to be here and where you are, uh, what you're doing, getting two wins uh, against Kansas and UCF, and then uh, getting ready for the final stretch here. Uh, pretty, pretty electric finish you could be gearing up for. Yeah, and that's not even considering the context. Like your lead guard guard play has been incredibly inconsistent. Pop Isaacs is in the midst of a really, really, really bad slump. You're obviously without Cambridge. I don't know if you get Warren Washington back on Tuesday. Um, obviously, he's missed uh, two games now. I think, um, and it, it's just it's impressive to see kind of where this team is at. Again, no moral victories. Not that guy. But from a record standpoint, just what this team has been able to accomplish and to be firmly in the tournament field at this point, I believe, is pretty pretty damn good indictment on the coach that Texas Tech hired this offseason and I think even the future trajectory of this program. 
You mentioned it. The future trajectory. Uh, I do want to talk about this a little bit. And we don't talk about uh, the later Raiders a ton on here. Um, there is another question in the mailbag. Uh, something to the effect of, has the coach gas start uh, hurt the Lady Raiders uh, a little bit because this is Coach Gerlich's fourth year, and they're kind of stalling out a little bit, and you have a hot start from Coach Gas. You really have been begging the women's team to, to turn a corner somehow, some way. Young team, uh, dealing with injuries. I do just want to say I, I I got in a little tiff with a Facebook commenter on a, on a Texas Tech page a couple of weeks ago who said this is the worst Lady Raider team of all time and Coach Gerlich needed to be fired. Uh, look, you're coming off one of the greatest decades, if not the greatest decade of college basketball in Lubbock with the men's team ever. From Tubby to Beard, to even Mark Adams, this is the greatest stretch of college basketball the Texas Tech men have ever experienced. Back to back to back, first time three tournaments in a row, uh, five tournaments in a row if you count the COVID year, which Beard did on the on the banners. I think they took that down, but uh, you go back to Tubby. It's five out of six. You just all over the tournament world. You'd never done that before. First Elite Eights, first Final Four, first National Championship appearance. And now you go back and say, what have the Lady Raiders done in the last decade? It's kind of been the opposite. They've not been very good. So you're building from two different places. I don't think the Gerlich building is similar to the gas building. I just wanted your thoughts on that. Uh, and maybe even further into the future with the men's team, because I know this is kind of the specialty here, but. Uh, how do you think a 10 and 8 record or something similar would build for the Red Raiders, especially with this team in this world of portaling? You know, I know we're looking way forward here, but uh, how this team maybe can go from this year to next year and have some momentum. Yeah, well, on the Lady Raiders front, I definitely think injuries have played a huge factor this this season, even the game today against Baylor. I mean, it's really, really hard to stomach scoring 32 points in a in a four quarter game. That is really, really rough, even against a good Baylor team. Um, but obviously, injuries playing a key factor, and I think recruiting has has been there at least. You know, unofficial visits, OBs for for the women's program, I think is, is trending in the right direction. So if you can land some of these big recruits, and there's one that I think is at the top of the board for. A lot of programs in the country, but especially one that's in your, you know, your own backyard. Um, I think if you can pull that one off, it's a it's a huge indictment on you know where this Lady Raiders program is going. Um, but in terms of the men, I think you've you've got some really really good pieces on this team. I I think Darion Williams has a chance to be one of the best players in the Big Twelve next season. Um, Coach Coach Gas certainly believes that. He's he's said as much as that. He's called him their X factor this year. And so I think if you can kind of retain him above all else, he's kind of the one guy that if I could lock down, like if we were doing like a an expansion draft, I would not want somebody coming after Darion Williams. I would want to keep him around for as long as possible. But if you can kind of take some of the things that you've seen from this team, and I certainly think there are 
some learning curves that have happened this this first season. I think you need to get longer, especially at wing. You really only have one true wing player, and that's Kerwin Walton, who's pretty much asked to just catch and shoot the basketball, which he's done a fantastic job at this year. Um, but I think you need some some better wing defenders. You need better defenders in general. Um, and then I think you need to beef up your front court a little bit. But it'll be really interesting to kind of see a first full offseason from McCasland and this staff. Obviously, no one's immune to the transfer portal. I'm sure there will be a few that that go in. I'm sure there will be plenty that decide to head to Lubbock. But if you can kind of continue to build on the momentum, excluding from last year, which was a burning dumpster fire. Um, but over the last couple of years and the way the program is headed, you've got great facilities, still the best home court advantage in the country per Kim Palm. I think those are things that can really bode well to kind of get this thing trending even more up and really having, you know, a top tier program in the big 12. Yeah. And we'll talk about that way more later, but you just look at the youth on the team. I just wonder, um, some of these guys, Robert Jennings, uh, you see flashes. You really would like to see Robert Jennings year three, maybe, um, Kyron Lindsay. Uh, a little bit of a sweet touch around the rim against Iowa State. I thought, you know, early in the game and, and early in the second half, he was better than Robert Jennings for a stretch. And then Robert Jennings kind of turned it on uh, in that run that you were talking about where he was on the floor late in the second half. Um, you just you have some pieces. Pop Isaacs has shown a bunch of, a bunch of games in a row. Um. But yeah, you, you really would like to see Robert Jennings not playing the five all the time. Like we talked about it last week, maybe Bob Jennings at the four with Warren Washington, uh, kind of in the Darian Williams row if he's not out there, but you don't really want to take him off the floor either. So, uh, man, it was just a, it was full of mismatches against Iowa State. And if Warren Washington doesn't play, it's going to be mismatches against TCU as well. Yeah, I thought Kyron Lindsay had a great game on the offensive end. He was aggressive, had good touch. He he got cooked on a couple of defensive possessions. I mean, the lateral movement is not there yet, and I think that's a big reason why he's playing the amount of minutes that he's playing right now. Offensively, yeah, I think it's there's something there, especially with his athleticism, his length. I think he's only 6'9", um, but he certainly moves pretty well on the offensive end defensively I think is a big key for him Robert Jennings played a lot better in that second half he kind of reminds me of Dwight Powell and that he does like a lot of the dirty work and just kind of plays around the rim but he'll also just like have a ball bounce off his face you know at one point in the game he'll miss an easy one at the rim I think if you can kind of turn that around get him playing at a consistent level get him to make the easy ones at all times and then kind of continue to allow him to almost punch above his weight in terms to speak just because he is undersized and you know especially when he's playing the five I think if you can kind of continue to develop those two guys if they're around next season I think that that's a big if just because they're both playing such limited minutes it, it's hard not to imagine you know them looking for for more playing time with the way college basketball is right now but I do think that's that's a huge area of improvement now you know, obviously you're losing Warren Washington because he's like 27 years old. Yep. Um, like, do you really want to go into the next season with those two guys? 
even if you have them on your roster and say, all right, this is our front court and we'll get one more piece and it'll be good. I I don't think so. I think you'll probably try and, and add one more in the front court, at least assuming you, you keep both of them. But I think there are certainly flashes um, that are promising and can be developed. Um, off seasons do a lot of magic, especially when you're playing for a good coaching staff. So obviously a big question on if they'll even be here in a month or two months, but I think if they do and they develop, you, you've got two pretty solid pieces. Uh, I'm going to ask and answer a question here and then see if you think I'm right. Uh, or if you have some more ideas here. This is from the comment section here. How do we get more looks for Kerwin? Best shooter we've had in years. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the best three-point shooting we've seen since uh, Davide Moretti's freshman season when he shot 50% in Big 12 play. Uh, from three. Uh, how do we get more shots for Kerwin? Uh, play him at the two. Take Pop or Joe off the floor and have Kerwin play the shooting guard role. Uh, that's one way. Uh, I, I don't know of another way uh, because when those two are on the floor, I'm begging Joe to be more aggressive, take more shots, and Pop is... Pop, Pop is going, he's a volume shooter. He's going to take volume away from other people. That's just how it works. So how do you get Kerwin more looks? Uh, play Pop or Joe less. And I don't know that you're really wanting to do that yet. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'd also add, this is the program's blue chip player right now, out of sets. Go back and watch every single baseline out of bounds play, sideline out of bounds play. Probably like, 80% of them are drawn up specifically for Kerwin Walton. A lot of them in the corner. Even, you know, chipping into that Iowa State lead, a lot of plays were designed around getting him looks. And it, a lot of them were just him, you know, chucking threes because he gives you your your best shot. I mean, he's shooting 51% from three this season. That's, that's third best in the country. That's, that's ridiculous. He's still the most efficient player in college basketball per Ken Palm. And so I think obviously you want to get him more looks. Um, I think where that kind of development is going to happen is in the, in the half court offense, which happens obviously by kind of playing him off the ball more, allowing him to play the two, as you mentioned, but in terms of draw ups and set plays, man, he is their go-to guy. And I think he has garnered the greenest of lights from this staff. Is it safe to say that he is the most efficient player in college basketball because uh, a la Clay Thompson, he just doesn't get to dribble much. He's a catch and shoot guy. He's just, he's not ball handling a lot. Uh, like when Clay, what he had 11 dribbles and 37 points in a quarter or something. Uh, if you could do that for Kerwin and he's just open and they forget to guard him. Uh, yeah. Get him 10 looks and, and do that. But, I don't think Kerwin Walton is a creator as much as he's just a scorer. Does that make sense? Is that true? Yeah, I'd agree. And I think he showed some flashes of being able to put the ball on the floor and get to the ring early in the non-conference. But again, against the athleticism and length of Big 12 defenses, I think you've kind of limited him to to catch and shoot basketball, which he's made a living of. And I just I just checked the numbers. He's taken 23 shots at the rim this year compared to 93-point shots. So oh, wow. it it is a lot that is coming from outside and just really benefiting from set plays 
um, the spacing that the other offensive players are creating, but obviously you've still got to make your shots. And so he's done a very, very fine job at that so far. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if half of Pop's three-pointers go to Kerwin Walton, uh, you'll make more three-pointers. I yeah. mean, his three-point percentage might go down 15 points, but it's still higher than what Pop has been doing uh, in his last six games. Yep, and I think you live with that. I mean, right now, Pop is taking 31% of the team shots when he's on the floor, which is the 62nd highest of any player in the country. The next closest on the team is Chance McMillan, who's taken 20.5%. So that's about a 10.5 percentage difference between the guy who's taking more of your shots. I mean, Pop has taken 120 more shots than anybody else on this roster. Wow. I think that's kind of where you've got to create some or almost limit the parity, like get some more guys open looks. And I think McMillan and Walton have kind of run that switch this year where it's kind of like, all right, we'll feed the hot hand. We'll let, you know, whichever one of these guys is playing better basketball, get the most looks on, on any given night. And I think what really boils down with Kerwin is he just kind of disappears when he isn't, you know, getting open looks. I think if you can kind of try to find a way to remedy that, get him even more open looks, create more set plays for him. A lot of the set plays in the half court, at least are designed around the basket out of the pick and roll. Like, let me see some, some floppy action. Let me see some horns with Kerman Walton on the wing. Like, I think that's an area where you have a lot of potential to get even better offensively is if you can kind of close that gap between who's taking the most of your shots and hasn't been very efficient lately and get it into the hands of your guys who are making shots. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to rip all of pop shots away. I'm very bullish on pop Isaacs. I think he's still very good. And I think that he can uh, score. I think he has proven that. And how does how do volume shooters score? They shoot at volume. And I don't want to take that away. But if he shot 22% of the time when he's on the floor and that other 7, 8%, 9% went to Darian Williams down low and Kerwin Walton from three, I think you live with that. Uh, also, happy birthday, Kyle. I, uh, I was unaware that it was uh, Kyle's birthday. I knew it was in February. It snuck up on me. Um, so thank you, Patricia, for uh, pointing that out. Happy birthday, Kyle. We will uh, do a full birthday episode with Kyle on uh, Wednesday. He's, uh, as we said earlier, uh, preparing for a big uh, presentation. I mentioned the gauchos to, to one of my buddies the other day, and I was like, hey, this is what I what I do for fun, uh, to talk about sports. And they went and watched it, and they were like, Hey, are you are you related to Kyle somehow? Like you guys look kind of simpler. Like he looks like he could kind of be like your your older brother or something. So, happy birthday, Kyle! I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, I can see that. Grow out a beard, maybe, and uh, get a little more Kyle esque. Uh, all right, I'm gonna do a baseball recap with you, Ryan, in uh, three minutes or less. This is gonna be the fastest three minutes in sports. Uh, we will talk more about baseball on Wednesday. There will be two more games before the Wednesday episode. We'll also be talking baseball tomorrow with Carson on the Rob Rose Show right here on this very YouTube channel. You can subscribe uh, to youtube.com slash gambling gauchos. Uh, 
And we'll be talking baseball as well tomorrow, much more in depth. But um, you lose to number nine, Tennessee, at Globe Life Field. Previous to this game, you're one in five at Globe Life in the opening season tournament. It's a new tournament this year, but it is formerly known as the State Farm College Classic. This year, it was the Shriners College Classic at Globe Life. You lose two to six. You've won bad inning from a reliever, but you struck out 17 times. You're not going to win too many games doing that. Uh, but you win the weekend. Uh, you win the series. You beat Nebraska six to three. Nebraska is not going to be a very good baseball team. They're just in the Big Ten. It's just not going to happen. Um, but Iowa was, Iowa was pretty good last year. Nebraska could be similar. Could be. Uh, and then Oregon uh, could be a decent team out of the out of the Pac-12 for their final season in the Pac-12. Lots of good baseball teams in the Pac-12. You shelled them today. Uh, you shelled them 11 runs. You had six early. Austin Green smashing home runs. Tracer Lopez hitting a home run at Globe Life speaks very highly to what Tracer Lopez is going to be able to do this week or this year. This week, too, you have two more games at Globe Life. Damian Bravo might be a guy offensively. Uh, three doubles today. Austin Green had a ton of RBIs, ripping the ball. Uh, and it's time to talk. Ryan, legitimately about TJ Pompey, who I called Pompey uh, last week. Pompey is how they were saying on the broadcast uh, from Coppell. He's going to be insane. Uh, this is a legitimate Big 12 freshman of the year candidate playing shortstop. And if his stick is this advanced early in the year, he started off with a two or three run triple and a double, two-run double the next day. If he can hit for extra bases, uh, power, and contact, um, you're going to have a Josh Young-esque freshman year from TJ Pompey in a pivotal defensive position at shortstop. Uh, this is this is really, really good. And we haven't even talked about pitching yet. I will echo many of those thoughts as I am a baseball novice. I was not going to shell out $30 for Flow Sports. No, I listen on the radio. Cannot do it. Um, but I do I do like some advanced stats in baseball. I think there's some good ones. Um, and for you to score, what was it? You know, 17 runs the last two games. And that was with Gavin Cash having one hit and 13 ABs. I think that's a really good sign that you've got some good bats in your dugout. And losing to Tennessee is losing to Tennessee. They they had a guy, basically Nolan Ryan on the mound. <laughs> I think they had two pitchers go. Uh, they had a, a, a starter from last year as a reliever now, and he went four or five to close the game. Um, the first guy was throwing 97 with a hammer curve, or, or it sounded like on the broadcast. Um, you're going to have to beat those teams in those arms to be competitive in the Big 12 and to be competitive in a regional and a super regional and maybe even Omaha. Um, yeah, what's crazy, we didn't even mention Gavin Cash. Gavin Cash, a rough start, had an RBI today, I believe. And uh, Gage Harrelson, rough start at the plate so far. Um, and you really think those two guys are going to get hot at some point in the year. Um, Owen Washburn, I could just name everybody in the lineup. A lot of people had a good day in the last two days. Um, uh, pitcher to highlight, Huffling today. 
from ACU, dominated you last year. Don Williams tweeted out today. He asked uh, Tim Tadlock what he thought when Huffling went into the portal and Tadlock deadpanned, call him. <laughs> so they called him and got him out of the portal. So uh, I think he's going to be big. Now, of course, I didn't watch, but I listened on the way home today on the road. And uh, apparently he's just a madman screaming and he's six. I, I think they William Wallace him a little bit, but he's six, nine and shooting lightning out of his arse. Uh, however tall he is, he he's an animal and uh, he's going to be really fun out of the bullpen. If he stays in the bullpen uh, or if he's a Sunday starter, uh, that kind of guy as a closer, Ryan, that's 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 the kind of electric arm you've been missing in the back end of the bullpen. Not that he throws 98, but that kind of 6'9 closer that's intimidating and is screaming crazy, uh, you're really enjoying that. A couple of questions here, uh, or one, are you related to Mark Bro? Yes, I am. That is my father. Uh, Mark Bro, legend in Lubbock. Uh, nearly 30 years as the... Uh, Principal Love Christian, he's uh, he's a, a fifth grade reading teacher now. Uh, strong, strong uh, man. Uh, let's see. There was one other comment here. Oh, it was an Iowa State comment that I wanted to read. We missed it. Uh, after seeing the game in Ames, I'm convinced we need to end the ethanol subsidies. Too much corn. Too much corn. Lots of corn there in Iowa. Um, and uh, Nebraska, for that matter. Back-to-back corn days on Saturday. Uh, all right. Uh, any final thoughts on basketball before we kind of wrap up today? This is gonna be the quickest episode we've done. Yeah, I, I mean, I mentioned it a couple of times now, but I do think it it's gonna kind of be a way. How do you move on from this Pop Isaac slump, or how do you deal with it? Because I saw a lot of we need to bench him, bench him. He's not contributing. You just can't live with that. Like this team is not built. To, to bench its lead guard like as bad as he's playing right now and it's pretty bad I think you've got to kind of continue to live with it I think if you can limit the volume of shots and get him better looks particularly in the catch and shoot and let Joe Toussaint run some of these pick and roll sets let him get his head down get to the basket shoot free throws I think that's going to be an area where this team can kind of start to build some momentum get its offense into an even better spot before uh conference tournament and March madness. Oh, uh, that's, I'm not going to read that comment, but that's really funny. Um, yeah, I, I didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, let's see. Um, I wanted to read some, uh, Rick Patino comments. Oh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> out of the St. John's job. Oh, but I wanted to wrap up Texas Tech basketball too. Um, I think this team can get hot and and make a tournament run, uh, but you're not going to make a tournament run if you play like you did on the road in Ames. Um, you can make a deep tournament run if you played like you did at home against Kansas. So there's some middling there, and you need Warren Washington to do it. But call me crazy. Uh, with a 30-point victory against a top-10 opponent and a, what ended up being around a 10-point loss to a top-10 opponent. Um, find the even ground there 
and really buckle in for the last six regular season games. The Big 12 tournament is the Big 12 tournament. I think I saw this week if it, if it ended today, if the season ended today, you'd be the sixth seed. Uh, don't care. I think we'll finish in the top eight, uh, which is where you want to be, I believe, for a, a couple of buys now. Um, so is what it is. Yeah, uh, I think they'd be projected to play the winner of Oklahoma State and Kansas State, I want to say. Kansas I think I saw State, maybe West Virginia. West Virginia, yeah. West yeah. Virginia State. But I think if you get a, a first round buy and then you're playing one of those two teams in the second round, that that's a that's a good, good draw. Feel good. Yeah, feel good about that. And again, if you win two or three more uh of these regular season games, the Big 12 tournament's not gonna matter. Now, I don't even like putting this out there, Ryan. If you lose out, you might need a couple. <laughs> you might need a couple. Uh, you might need a coach because that's, you know, what would be seven straight losses to end the year. That would not be good. Uh, even though Iowa State went to uh, the Sweet 16 after finishing 7-11 in the Big 12. All right. This is from Jaden Daly. And these are quotes from a Rick Pitino presser. Uh, he's a very honest human being, apparently. Uh, do we have, and this is a family show, but I'm going to read, this is quoting. I'm not cussing, I'm quoting. Uh, do we have shitty facilities? Yes, we do. But we're doing something about that. It's not the job. You could be at Missouri and recruit slow players. Believe me, it's not St. John's. We had to put together a team at the last second. We will never, ever do that again. After I spent the summer with these guys, I knew it was going to be a difficult year. I knew it. I'm hoping we can finish over 500 for the season. Look. Joel's slow laterally. He's not fast on the court. Chris Ledlam is slow laterally. Sean Conway's slow laterally. Brady's physically weak. Drissa is slow laterally. Have you ever seen a coach just run down his entire roster in a post-game presser this late in the season? I think what might have been the best part of that is he had another quote in that session where he said, this is the most unenjoyable experience of my life. Like a, a future hall of famer, a man with flaws for sure, but a great basketball mind, just absolutely ripping his roster. I mean, that is absurd, absurd. This is the guy that got removed from a job where he just won a national championship. And this is the worst experience of his life. (laughs) Coaching this roster. (laughs) And he's playing games in Madison Square Garden. Like he's playing a handful of games in MSG, the world's most famous arena every year. And there's just like, this is terrible for him. He hates it here. Uh, I'm old enough to remember that uh, Rick Pitino was floated for the tech job twice in two different cycles. Uh, Before Mark Adams took over, there was uh, rumblings and even louder rumblings uh, this last cycle when Grant McCaslin took over the job. So. I wonder if, uh, if, if, well, and Grant McCaslin, I guess, had less time at, uh, to, to make this roster at Texas Tech, and he seems to be enjoying it pretty well. Aside from the, uh, you know, the being bedridden for 48 hours because of the flu. So, it, and maybe that's why the team was so slow names. They're just all still kind of, uh, recovering on the road. I don't know. Uh, it was a really slow start. I've, I've never seen a sl- that slow of a start, really, 
from Texas Tech. There have been some slow starts, but well, I guess at home you went down 29 to Iowa State and then beat them. That was a pretty slow start. <laughs> oh, anyways. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to get that Rick Patino stuff in. I thought that was funny. Terrible week to be a college basketball coach with the microphone in front of you. John Calipari in Kentucky absolutely beat down Auburn, play the best defensive game of the year, a team that's been absolutely atrocious defensively this year. And he gets into the post-game presser and he's like, don't come after me. Or he's like, don't come after my players. Come after me. It's like, what are you doing? You just had one of the best wins of your season. Like, are you trying to get like your, your players more amped up, trying to garner some like invisible enemies? And then Bruce Pearl just going crazy in his post-game press conference as well. That was awesome. Wild. That was, yeah, that was uh, Gundy-esque. Come after me. I'm a man. I can take it. Uh, Coach Cowles, though, he's had a tough couple years there at Kentucky, all relative to what Kentucky is. But um, I did want to see uh, – this is another comment. The computers have us projected to win out. I did notice uh, the computers at uh, – what is it, T-Rank? You are favored in the rest of your games. I think maybe a half point favored at UCF last I looked. Maybe that's updated. You can tell me. But um, you're uh, allegedly favored the rest of the way out. So maybe a three and three spot would not be as good as it looks. But I, I would be happy with that. Yeah, by no means am I expecting this team to win out, especially if you're without Warren Washington for, for one or two of these games. But the opportunity is certainly in front of you. And this has kind of been the story the entire season with the models is no matter how you play at the beginning of conference play, this end of season stretch is certainly an opportunity for you to do a lot of damage. And so I think they're, they're favored right now um, in every game or at least projected winners in every game. Um, obviously you've got to execute, but a, a favorable schedule to get, you know, West Virginia and Oklahoma state, even though they are on the road, to get TCU back at home, I think, is an interesting one. Did you watch the end of that TCU-Kansas State game? I'm guessing you didn't. You had a busy weekend. Well, I saw the Jameer uh, mm-hmm. Nelson shot. The, the shot put, push. The, it looked like a chess pass. It was nuts. And I, I'd <laughs> never seen a team high girl form. almost sell a game so badly. Like, TCU was un, inbounding the ball from underneath the other basket. Micah Peavy just throws it out of bounds. Like, did not even get the ball in play. Kansas State, I don't know what happened. I think they had a Tyler Perry possession draw up that didn't go anywhere. And then Jameer Nelson just makes the the shot of his life. I mean, I almost got off my couch. I don't even like TCU. But that was a wild, wild basketball play. Yeah, pretty incredible. And, and again, that's kind of the Big 12 there, but uh, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive for sure. Uh, all right, I do have a final thought here. Uh, if you do as well, you can give yours, and then I'll give mine. Uh, do you have a final thought on the basketball season? TCU on Tuesday, uh, and then we'll be back Wednesday for that recap and some more baseball talk with Kyle, I believe. Yeah, I think you've got you've to win on Tuesday. Um, I think this is a, a good opportunity for you to be a quality opponent in your own building. It, it might be tough if you don't have Warren Washington, but I, I still think this TCU team, as bad of a matchup as they are for Tech on paper, continue to kind of look more and more beatable, finding themselves in close games late. 
I don't really trust their shooting. I don't really trust their offense, but their defense is very, very solid. Um, and so I think if you can win this one, you've got a you've got a really good hat to to kind of hang. Non-tech basketball related thought. Super excited for Iowa State Houston tomorrow night. I think that's going to be you know one of the best games in the Big Twelve this year. Houston going to be looking for some revenge um, on their home court, but should be a really really close game. I don't want to do like the thing where people overinflate the opponent that just beat them. But I do think the gap between that Houston team and that Iowa State team is a lot, lot smaller than I initially thought. That Iowa State team is scary. Is that game uh, in Houston? I believe so. That Iowa State game team, um, man, Houston Houston was good. Um, Villanova played really good against you. Iowa State might be the best team you've played all year. I mean, I I don't know that I, I Houston Houston's good. Shed had a great game against you, but team wise, Iowa State man, defensively what they do, how they play, they're well coached. I'm not saying Samson's not a great coach too, but man, and you know Houston has been good. This this could be Iowa State's best team ever. I think so, and I'm going to spend so much time over the next few months just absolutely littering the internet with Momchilovich draft propaganda because I do not want to see that dude in the Big 12 for a couple more years, which kind of feels like it's going to be the case. I doubt he goes to the league this year. He's only a freshman, but that guy can play. He can really, really shoot the basketball, and if he's only going to get better, that is a, a scary, scary sight. That move where he Euroed uh, an up and under layup between two red Raiders where he just teleported six feet and got the up and under. I mean, that's just incredible. I, I can't say enough about him. I mean, I think we should just start calling him baby Dirk and getting the draft chain rolling and, and get him out of here. I think we, I think we need to do that. I love it. All right. My final thoughts on, uh, my weekend, I was, if you don't know, in Houston, Texas, at the Cypress Berry Event Center uh, to watch the 5 and 6A state championship wrestling world. Uh, an undefeated Jacob Henry lost in the finals for the second straight season. You might know him from his father, Mark Henry. Uh, that was pretty incredible. Uh, but the star of the show, uh, the 215 5A state champion from Lubbock High, Keegan Davis, my nephew, uh, finishes career 145 and 22. He's the all-time winner at Lubbock High. Nobody's won more than 145 matches in their career. He's a three-time district champion, a two-time regional champion, and now a one-time state champion. Uh, looked really, really good all year, but just had an incredible state run. So incredibly proud of him. He was 40 and 41 and three this year and lost three times to this kid from Tascosa, uh, Jackson, who also had an incredible year and loses early and loses pretty bad. Keegan does in their second matchup. Keegan nearly gets a pin on Jackson. Jackson flips it and pins Keegan. Uh, and then they went to a, a 
nearly a split decision draw, but uh, Jackson scores one more point than Keegan at regionals to win regionals over Keegan. Uh, then you you get to avenge the loss. He fought Jackson from Tascosa, West Texas battle in the finals, and it was an incredible seven to five finish. There was a flurry of points uh, with four seconds remaining. Uh, Keegan scored a takedown. Jackson flipped him. Keegan flipped him right back uh, for a, a four to two point swing uh, to finish seven to five. So just an incredible, incredible weekend. Uh, he'll remember that for the rest of his life. Uh, and he's accepted a scholarship offer to Wayland Baptist to continue his wrestling career. Uh, and I just am an incredibly proud uncle. Uh, maybe we can get him on the show or maybe the Rob Bro show here this week uh, to have him talk about his career. Um, uh, a three-time state finalist is just incredible. Uh, you know, there's people out there winning two and three state championships. There's a kid going to Iowa from Melissa who was just playing with his food in the finals. I think he scored nearly 30 points. He beat him by 15. Uh it was incredible, incredible showing there. Uh, the uh, Lucas Lovejoy had a three-time state champion in the in the two eighty-five division there, five A. So just an, if you've never been, if you've never watched high school wrestling, uh, the meets are really fun. If you're ever in the Houston area on February this weekend of February, they do it every year. Uh, stop by; it's a really, really fun experience. Uh, they do the finals really, really well. They. They sh they shrink down the mats. There's only four mats going, and every championship mats gets the whole gym watching. So it was a really fun experience, and you just don't get to do things like that a lot. And and uh, and he's now a state champion. I won a a state championship in duet acting in my career, but uh, I think maybe uh, the the wrestling uh, career is a little bit better than the duet acting state championship. But I know how I felt and. Uh, I, I know he was proud of himself as well. So shout out to Keegan Davis. I just wanted to say that on the show uh, in this platform. I, I'm I'm super proud of him. Big shout out to Keegan. That that is a huge huge accomplishment, not only for for his high school career, but for his personal life. Like as you mentioned, he's going to remember that. His peers will remember that. Like one of my proudest moments as a student was when the Plano Lady Wildcats won a state championship with the front court of Katie Farrell and Jordan Merritt, and. Nice. One of my favorite memories as a student. Everybody recognized it, respected it. It's a huge, huge accomplishment. So big ups to Keegan. No small thing. Um, and I hope he savors it because that is certainly awesome. And congrats to, to you and yours, Rob. That is certainly a, a memory that will live for a very long time. There you go. There he is. Shout out to Keegan. All right, that's all I got. We'll uh, be back on our Patreon episode this weekend at patreon.com slash gambling gauchos if you want to join us. Only $5 a month. You get access to the world's greatest Discord server of Texas Tech fans. Uh, the game day threads are legendary. Uh, we also have lots of talking points. Now there's Kyle's political corner, which I never go in, but some people do. Uh, it's a really, really fun time there. We try to be respectful, and uh, I think everyone enjoys each other. Well, there's a couple of guys we don't enjoy, but we keep in there anyways. Uh, all right, that was a joke, by the way. We love everyone. Uh, all right, that's all I got. Uh, we'll see Kyle on Wednesday, and uh, see you too, money. Happy birthday, Kyle. Happy birthday, Kyle. Love y'all.